Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartages, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. I'm your host, Katie Cash, and as always, I am joined with my partner in strategy, also my boss, Judy Sparks. And today, we are really excited for today's guest. We have a longtime friend and a client of ours, Mr. Scott Steiding, who oversees sales and marketing for Morrison Hirschfield. Um, he currently serves as a vice president for the firm, which happens to be one of North America's leading multidiscipline engineering firms. So we are super Super excited to have you today, Scott, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the offer. Perfect. So, you know, Scott, we've known you for a little while, and what we really want to talk to you about today and and bring light to our listeners of is this whole idea of empowering sales and marketing professionals and also business unit leaders on the idea of leveraging data gathered through different uh, tools and um online activities to better be informed in how they go to market and how they approach sales and marketing. And I feel all too often in our industry, you know, a lot of the leaders view and approach marketing as if it's this, you know, touchy-feely kind of instinctive thing. Yeah. And, you know, you and I've talked about this at large. A lot of firms still aren't really measuring their sales and marketing efforts against true ROI, but that is not the case in your shop. So maybe you could just kind of share a little bit of light into that with our listeners today, kind of how you rose to your position, how you're leveraging data and um, what that really looks like at Morrison Hirschfield. Uh, Sure. So thanks. Um, I I think my first comment would be on um, sort of approaching sales and marketing from a data-driven standpoint to to some extent, you know, as, as marketers, we take a look at our audiences and and we try to, um, construct a, a, a dialogue with them or a message to them that's going to resonate with them. And maybe this isn't the same for your architectural and construction clients, but in the engineering world, my internal colleagues are, you know, high, highly analytical. Um, they, I think they'd rather do technical driven type of tasks over sales. You know, I, I joke often that none of them went to school to do business development. They, they went to school to do engineering or some other type of, of technical work. Absolutely. And, 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 and early on in, in my time with Morrison Hirschfield, I learned that if, if I showed up at a meeting and I had some ideas that I was, hey, I was thinking about this or I was feeling this is the type of thing that we should do, um, my colleagues were, were very receptive to those, but they may have a lot of questions. They may want to go away and, and think about it a little bit. Whereas if I showed up at a meeting and I said, I was crunching the data and I was looking at this new particular opportunity and here's what I think the opportunity is and, and here's why and it was backed by, by numbers, I think part of it is I'm, I'm communicating to them in a uh, format that they're most comfortable receiving the information on and then you know, evaluating things. And I think that's probably where it started uh, was just was given this opportunity to kind of you know, expand the sales and marketing platform in Morrison Hirschfield as the organization grew. And there's, there's, a lot of comp- there's a lot of ideas, competition for where we're going to make you know, investments. There's probably more things out there we could do um, than we have time or money to do. So just you know, a little bit of it was, was trying to help me prioritize, you know, and then also uh, communicate with my colleagues in a way, hey, this is what we're looking at and this is what we're seeing. This is what the numbers are telling us. What's, what's your opinion on it? 
I think, I think that's, that's where it started. Yeah. Super smart. You know, being married to an engineer, you guys are very much uh, analytical and data driven. So I feel like that's part of the core essence of your entire employee yeah. body there at MH. Yeah. So, so it plays well to know that you picked up on your, your audience there and you knew how to effectively communicate to them uh, through your love language as well, which is, which yeah. is the data. So, you know. I love to nerd out on the, on the numbers. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you know, we always argue that, you know, math is a universal truth. So when you have the numbers that back it up and you have the data to prove that XYZ campaign worked or that this is, you know, we should follow for uh, more companies that look like this because they're, they're great partners for us. I think it just really helps the conversation move forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, one other thing that I know about you and your team as compared to maybe some of your competition in the marketplace is that you guys have really thrived on gaining outsider perspective, you know, outsider perspective on the overarching marketplace in which you yep. participate in, also looking at your business profile compared to maybe some of your competitors or others in the professional service space. And I'd really, you know, I know we're not the only consultant you use, but I'd, I'd really like to understand kind of how you guys approached that mindset and, you know, how you're leveraging that, that third-party perspective as well as you leverage that on top of the data you're collecting. Um, interesting. I, I, I think the first thing is I, I'm very naturally curious about things. I think that's number one. I think number two, the, the more reading I do or the, you know, sort of podcasts I listen to like yours and that sort of thing, I quickly realize that it, I don't have the market cornered on good ideas. There's a lot of great ideas um, that are, that are out there. I think that fundamentally where we started is my, I had been doing a lot of business development and then so probably naturally I didn't jump to the top of the funnel in terms of sort of the marketing things that we started to the activities that we focused on and prioritized first. We sort of started at the bottom of the funnel and, and moved our way up if you will. So we started sort of on closing and sales things. And, you know, over the last few years, we've, we've moved up the funnel towards some, some brand awareness things. Um, so I think part of it was me seeking, you know, in, input from, you know, best practices and, and industry experts um, just in terms of ideas. I think that's, that's the, the first piece. And then the, the second piece is to go back to the analytics as we sort of moved our way up to the top of the funnel um, you know, measuring whether you won or lost is easy and how many dollars came in as a result of that. But as you, as you start to move higher up in the funnel, it, it, I don't wouldn't say it's more challenging to measure, but it, it takes a different approach to start to measure some of those things. So I think that um, I reach out in terms of, you know, market research, going through independent third parties, and, and we use a few different services, um, partially because the diversity of the markets we're in and the diversity of the geographies we're in, I haven't found a single service that sort of is like a one-stop shop and, and does it all. Um, I think it's good to have conflicting views. You know, we often talk about a little creative tension where I don't want everybody in the room saying the exact same thing. Yes. Nodding their head. It's, it's probably better that there is, you know, some dialogue back and forth and, you know, kind of that tension between ideas um, in a healthy, you know, yeah, productive sure. way. Um, and then I, I like the benchmarking, uh, you know, that, that you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have, you know, at this point now, probably four years worth of really good data and I can go back over 10 years and have some information and data. And I'm really into what, watching trends, you know, seasonally and over the years and some of those sorts of things and then tracking how we're doing based on what the market research, you know, might've said, but it's really interesting to reach out to a couple of these third parties that have benchmarking information on how other engineering firms are performing in the same market. 
Um, and not that you have to try to be the top on any one of those, but it's really good to know, oh, wow, we're, you know, we're a little ahead there. Huh, what are we doing that's different than the other folks to see that you know, we're performing at a higher level than those? And if you're a little behind on some of the other benchmarks, just identify that that's, that's one where we need some, some work. So, Scott, um, it's interesting that you are so progressive in your thinking, yet you're not an engineer, uh, but you have incredible um, credibility within your firm. And I think a lot of that is your approach to evidence-based marketing. Can you talk to our listeners that are in maybe a similar role as mm-hmm. you and, um, you know, the, the art of managing up and being armed with good information? Yeah. Can you give our listeners a... a glimpse of what that might look like? Uh, it, yeah, I'm happy to. I think that, you know, every every situation is is differently. I, I think the first thing is that I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate that I, I sit inside the senior management team. So Morrison Hirschfield is recognized that sales and marketing, you know, gets a spot at the table with the rest of the, the C-suite. So I, I think, number one, that's, that's unique um, at Morrison Hirschfield, just talking to some other you know, colleagues, that's not always the case. There's not necessarily a CMO or someone like that, that that's at the table. So I'd, I'd set the ground rules that I, I'm very fortunate to be in the environment um, that I'm in. I, I think that the, you know, the second piece being that um, often at the senior level, a lot of the uh, discussion that's happening is based on financial results. And, um, I can't say that this is my original idea, but a lot of the challenge with financial results is you're looking in the rearview mirror. How did we do last year? How did we do last month? And I wanted to construct an opportunity for the senior management team to look forward in the, um, in the business. And we certainly had forward-looking things sort of before I assumed the role, but we couldn't necessarily forecast the likelihood that we were going to secure a project and when that project was going to happen. And it's, you know, it's assisted us in smoothing out the curves between the end of one big project and the start of another big project. You know, that's, that's always a big challenge in, uh, you know, in, in larger firms, hooking those together. Um, and, and sort of understanding, I think, that the challenges of the operational teams um, from a sales and marketing standpoint and having the right resources in the right place to start at the right times might might have been maybe the first problem that we tried to to solve and and uh then the the operational teams saw the benefit of that you know being able to sort of see forward not just backwards but to see forward and then to start planning resources it's it's especially now i mean it's really tough to secure good people you know unemployment rate is 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 you know at a very low or the lowest it's been in, in decades. So there's a lot of competition for those individuals. So the individuals they have, you want to keep busy. You want to get the right flow of work, you know, coming in at the, the right time. So I think solving that problem probably started first um, with them. And then that kind of began a, a dialogue where we were starting to create tools and we were getting feedback. And then simultaneously, we're looking at the strategy or maybe where we were focusing our business development activities and looking at how we were, our business results were doing and then looking forward again. And it's more been an iterative um, process um, that I've just been able to work very closely with our, you know, operational leads to help them meet their, you know, their business goals every year. So it's been a, it's been a good, um, it's been a good collaboration from that respect. And it sounds like it's been more of a, a marathon than it has been a sprint. And I think that one of the things we hear a lot from marketers in our industry is, you know, how long does it take to truly build that credibility and mm. 
earn that seat at the table. And I think that data is a great way to differentiate yourself as a marketer. Um, again, there's probably a, a large communication gap between the average marketer and the average engineer. And so the universal language being numbers um, is great yeah. to close that gap. So what you've done there is absolutely incredible. And I remember when we first started working together, um, you were in a different role. And so you've, you have actually been able to see the evolution of the culture around marketing within Morrison Hirschfield. Yeah. And it's not just external facing, but one of the big observations I have of you and your team is a lot of what you do is also internal facing. And, you know, we all believe that the hardest part of um, a brand strategy is brand living. And that's something yeah. you really, really well. Can you talk a little bit about how you um, use data and um, how that drives really everything you do? It's not just on the sales side. Yeah, great question. So I'm, I'm going to disclose something here that I'm not sure all every Morrison Hirschfield employee knows. But, you know, if, if we send an e-blast out, we're tracking our results and seeing how we're doing. Um, a few years ago, my, my team, we were having some success externally with the, our messaging and we were asked if we would take on the corporate communications role internally. Um, and we were rolling out a, our, our biggest ever five-year strategy, our 2020 vision. So we were to some extent doing a little bit of, and I wouldn't say internal marketing with it because we had so much input from staff on that strategy. But then once we started the strategy, we, we wanted to actually action this one, not just kind of put it in the drawer and come back to it. So we were constantly communicating internally with, um, with our teams in terms of updates and we were doing video updates and email updates and we, you know, have internal, you know, web pages and some of those sorts of things. But, but the interesting thing that sort of happened for the marketing team is, um, we've got this great audience of a thousand people inside of our firms. And often we have an opportunity to test a new, a new theory or a new product or maybe a new e-blast tool or something like that internally before we would do it externally. Um, not that we make many mistakes, but if something doesn't go as smoothly as we'd want, you know, sort of the, it's, it's contained. But, but back to the pieces, we're tracking our response rates, you know, on those things too. And we're not drilling into a specific, you know, employer or something like that, that or see if it open or not. But if we're not seeing the open rates, you know, on, on a, you know, an email that we've sent out, including a newsletter or including, you know, some updates on how the cor company's doing or corporate social responsibility activities, um, we, we take the time to back up and, you know, look at that differently. You know, hey, how are videos performing versus when it's just an email and doing those sorts of things. So I, I think that we've just applied the same type of approach to our external marketing to our internal communications in some respects um, with a goal of, um, you know, meeting our staff where they are. You know, they're busy. Um, some of the younger, this is, shouldn't be a surprise, often the younger staff are really excited at, re, at watching the videos. And I can see that some of our, you know, older staff read the reports more. Um, and that's a bit of a broad generalization, but th those types of things do show up in the numbers. That's really interesting. And, you know, with you taking on your internal um, communications, uh, really the company itself has become a client of your department. And um, so, you know, one of the things that I've always admired about you and your team is you really um, treat your engineers and billable team um, like they are your Correct. internal clients. Yeah, and absolutely. Them. And I love what you just said about meeting them where they are. Um, I think a lot of marketers in our space um, sit and wait for uh, their billable team to come to them. 
yeah um but i think that you know recognizing that the only uh full-time job um that well let me back up the billable staff they're full-time job is not marketing whereas the marketing staff it is (laughs) so so if you can meet people where they are and make it easier for them i think collaboration just becomes a whole lot stronger yeah so you know i I impress upon my my team and my team is is fantastic so quick you know shout out to them I've, i've got the best team around me that i've that i've ever had and i'm so you know so fortunate with um, their skills and the ideas that they they bring, but everybody's a little bit different. You know, everybody sort of on the team has has a sort of a niche or a different specialty that that they have something they shine at. But everybody is very client centric, and that's something that I've you know tried to uh, impress upon them. Um, and you know, you, anybody who's listening to this often knows that you know maybe it's the same thing in an architectural practice, but in engineering practice. Staff often come in in the morning, and the first thing they want to do is their technical work because that's why they went to college. N- none of my internal um, colleagues went to school to do business development. So, you know, they're doing their technical work and then often the business development related task, if it's writing proposals or maybe we're, we're doing some final planning for a conference or, you know, some of those types of things happens towards the end of the day. So my team just needs to be aware that, you know, often the email stream starts flowing in at three o'clock and it, it may not start at five um, type of thing. So I, I think part of it is just recognizing that Oftentimes, the, the, the billable hours come first um, and don't, you know, don't feel bad about that or don't let that impact you. It's just the nature of um, you know, a lot of the individuals and it can be the, the nature of the priorities of a particular day or week and take, take the information in when you can, um, you know, when you can get it. So it's, it's been successful for us. I think that's great and really mindful. I want to um, go back to something you said a little bit earlier. I really loved kind of your your analogy there that you are really trying to help your team not just look in the rear view, but be forward facing with some tools and some insights so that as they approach business planning, how they prioritize, you know, that non-billable time. Yes. And I know, you know, our industry, sales and marketing, uh, beyond that, we often fall victim to only being reactive, right? Only preparing those proposals, only getting ready for interviews and not really having time to be true forward thinking and, and forward facing um, when it comes to those efforts. So I'm curious, Scott, with all the tools and and things that you have, what have you found to be the most valuable at giving you and your team and, and your internal clients at Morrison Hirschville kind of that forward facing insight? Man, that's a great question. Huh. Um, I might have two answers on on that one. I think that w- when it comes to us meeting with our internal clients, you know, my, my suggestion to the team is ne- never show up with an empty, you know, blank piece of paper. Right. So yeah. if we're meeting with the team, um, we should be doing some work in advance. So when we, when we come to that meeting to discuss new activities or planning for next year or doing those sorts of things, um, we're, we, we've got some ideas. Yeah, your team never shows up with your technical staff saying, okay, what do you guys want to do? Like, I, I love that. It's such a, you know, a thoughtful approach to being mindful of their time and then also, you know, letting your team kind of own the, that idea. Yes. generation. totally. And I think too, I think that it, you know, the, the technical staff really know, you know, the material and often how, how to position it. And, and then, you know, better than my team, the value, you know, that they're delivering, but maybe they're, they're not as 
familiar with, you know, the process flow of how we would get that, you know, deliver that through multiple channels or, or those sorts of things. And they don't need to. So if, if we show up and kind of have that piece of the project, if you will, laid out and, and they're bringing, you know, the content or the technical know-how to those things, I just find that it works, works real well. So I think that's sort of forward looking as I would look at, you know, developing our marketing plans or implementing a particular area of a marketing plan. That's probably the, the best. If I were to say, you know, kind of what, what tool and maybe I'm going to, you know, nerd, nerd out here. That's okay. You can nerd out. I think that Power BI, you know, which is a new Microsoft reporting platform, which is, you know, I'm oversimplifying this, but it's like Microsoft Excel on steroids and you can kind of pull data out of your accounting system and pull data out of HubSpot, pull data out of your CRM system. And, you know, we, we have a customer survey program. We should, we should probably mention that too. We've talked about a lot of the stuff on the marketing side. We haven't necessarily talked about the customer experience piece yet, which is part of the whole, you know, the whole thing. If you're really trying to do a good job of marketing and branding and living the brand, as Judy said earlier, got to have that customer experience piece. But being able to kind of have a few data points from each one of those particular pieces, either on the sort of the beginning of the uh, customer journey or how, you know, customers experience thing, it really helps us, you know, looking at all these different um, sort of data sets together and Power BI allows us to organize, you know, all these disparate things instead of using pivot tables and um, looking at four or five different spreadsheets at the same time, we, we've been able to push this data into one, you know, um, dashboard or a few, you know, smaller number of reports. And, you know, I'm more graphical, you know, a lot of our team likes, likes seeing the numbers, the spreadsheet, yeah. you know, type of thing more than the other, but you, it makes the decision making a whole lot easier and faster. Um, and you can start to see trends. Um, so I think that, you know, from a tool standpoint, Power BI has been has been great for us, um, and and a big reason of that is you know we we're talking about a relationship with our internal clients. Um, I recognize they'd rather do the technical work than do business development. But, you know we have a thousand employees, but I think we probably have you know about three hundred people that sort of do business development, if you will. You know we're very much a seller doer um, culture. And yeah. a lot of our next project comes based on, you know, it's probably not different than a lot of firms, but from the work that we do before. So we're working really hard to try to minimize the amount of time that the operational teams have to spend on business development. So we're helping them, you know, better develop our service offering, you know, find the right client, find a client that's aligned with sort of the value that we can deliver, you know, kind of all of those types of things to cut down on, um, writing proposals for someone where we're, we're not, we don't have a great chance of winning, you know, type of thing or engaging with some of those other clients that maybe um, for whatever reason, it's just not a good fit. You know, we haven't been able to, to build a good durable long-term relationship or those sorts of things. And all these little data points help. Well, and I, I think, you know, and we've, we've shared this with you, but, but we've done a ton of research at Smargies in terms of interviewing owners and other uh, professional service providers within our space. I know you guys sell to architects as well as directly to owners. And we find, especially in the engineering field, a lot of those owners really do love having the business development conversations with a seller doer. They do like to kind of dive into the weeds and get into the technicalities. And they yes. like to have that collaboration with the individuals that are technically going to execute that idea. And I do agree, you know, giving them the power and the, the freedom and, and the tools that they need to, you know, really focus on honing their business development activities with those clients that are going to be repeat clients, right? That, that have yeah. the opportunity to be, bring the biggest value. It's really smart. So I do have um, two quick follow-up questions for sure. you um, based on that, you know, quick little um, 
insight that you gave us is one is how often are you looking at your data? And the other part of it that I'm curious about is who quote unquote owns the data? Like, is it marketing? Is it accounting? Is it IT? Is it, you know, just the leadership team? How does that work within Morrison Hirschfield? And how did y'all determine that one, that's the right frequency to look at our data and two, that, hey, this is who's going to own kind of um, reporting on it and, and making sure the information is correct and, and cleaned up whenever it needs yeah. to be. Um, so first, that's a great question on clean data. <laughs> I'm going to note that down. <laughs> Let's come back to that one because your, your decision-making is only as good as, as the data. I, I think first, um, monthly is the easy answer that we're looking at the data. Um, you know, I'll go back to Power BI again. In, we don't generate the reports anymore. The nice thing in Power BI is it's automated and the reports generate themselves every time you come in. So it pulls data from those oh, data so sources and refreshes things. So that's a big thing that we've done. We used to spend considerable amount of time every month preparing reports, you know, for senior management team all the way down to the department managers to take a look at. And we, we don't do that anymore. You know, now they're, they're available. So we will click in and look at them. So, you know, from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, those people are on my team. I get to spend more, my team gets to spend more time doing marketing and business development related activities instead of generating reports. So automation is key for anybody who's, who's listening out there. But once a month, we, I would say we uh, take a closer look at, you know, the sales data and take a look at where things are. Um, twice a year, we're probably having more in-depth conversations with each one of our business units and the groups inside of those. Um, from the hierarchy standpoint, with the groups looking in in greater detail um, at the data, and then annually, and we're we're in that season right now. Our fiscal year ends the last day of September, so we're in business planning season right now for next year. And this is a big time for us. We've been able to work very closely with our friends in the accounting and finance team that have been willing to share, you know, access to the accounting data plug that into Power BI. So we, we've been able to create kind of a suite of tools for our managers to look at past financial performance by client, market, asset type, service, geography, you know, those sorts of things. We're taking a look at where the markets are going, you know, what geographies and what types of, and what areas of the economy are going to be growing next year. Um, it kind of pull all that data together and then look at how successful we've been from a sales standpoint in, in some of those you know, uh, areas, how successful we've been on delivery. Maybe there's some benchmarking involved there as well, but it really starts to give us a, a good picture on where our business is at, how we're performing, where there's areas for improvement, and then also, you know, where are the areas where we've, we've got a leadership position. Um, so it's, it's taken a while. And I think your second question was, you know, kind of who owns it, clean data. You know, it's taken us a few years, but back to Judy comment, it's, it's been a marathon. It's not, it's not a sprint. You don't have to have all this stuff on on day one. And I think that working closely with the operational teams and helping develop data-driven tools that answer the questions they have probably helps you set the priorities first. Um, who owns the data? Uh, we, I, and I don't remember, it might've been our CFO's you know, idea on this one, but several years ago, we agreed on a common language to sort of tag Projects. If you're thinking about a website, how you use metadata tags to sort of organize some of the content in your content management system, it's it's similar to that, where we've identified um, tags that are attached to specific clients, like geography, and you know, are they a real estate client, is an architectural client, you know, those sorts of things, all the way down to what's the type of asset are we designing? Are we working on a bridge, or are we working on a um, you know on a cell site? 
And then let's say it's an environmental you know, service. We, we can be doing environmental services in the early stages of a bridge project, or we might be doing environmental services on the early stage of a, of a data center project. And we got buy-in early on. Maybe it's easier in an engineering firm because we love to we love to tag things and count things and you know and measure measure things. <laughs> but I think that that system sort of underpins. And when you say who owns it is, um, you know, we sort of have like a master list of what all these tags are, and it's collaboratively between sales and marketing, between our um, accounting and finance teams, and then the folks who you know sort of run our SharePoint site, which helps organize sort of all project documents. So we just agreed on one language. Um, so I'd say we kind of collaboratively, you know, including, of course, operations, you know, helped us identify those fields, but sort of established one language, if you will, in, inside the firm. And that's where I say, you know, maybe we started that eight years ago and, and those waters are pretty muddy in terms of the data. So we have some data, but I, I don't think it's as um, uh, reliable as our newer, newer data the thing that's really helped us clean up the new data is everybody's looking at the reports now and they see that if the data that goes in is clean and accurate, then the information that we're seeing on our reports is more accurate. And so I don't think it was a big push to like clean up the data. Of course, we annually sort of clean things up, but it's the data has gotten better because those that are working with me, my colleagues, see the value of it. So everybody's sort of bought in. We're not just clicking buttons anymore. You know, we're, we're being thoughtful about all the information that's going into the systems and it's really benefiting us. So Scott, I know you guys are doing all kinds of different things over at Morrison Hirschfield. You've got digital initiatives. You guys are very active in trade shows and conferences. You, you do your own uh, seller doer business development activities. And I'm just curious, do you have a KPI or a measurement that you are tracking for all of your different sales and marketing strategies that you're currently using in the marketplace? So the, the quick answer to that's no, um, the longer answer is I, I wish I did, um, but I, I think- Are you telling of, me an engineer is not tracking something? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is the, is the value of working with an outside agency. Um, I think that the, the agencies are often sort of more on the cusp of the latest and greatest and the newest best practices, maybe than a group that's you know executing on a day-to-day basis. I mean, even though we, we've got a lot of great things going on, we're as guilty as anybody else, you know, not always popping our heads up. But I think part of it is I may see a new strategy and, and honestly, I might be a little concerned about the investment there if we're the first group to do it. Um, and I think that there's value working with an agency, um, you know, like Smartergies, where you, you've actioned this, and you don't have to have all the KPIs, but we have a better understanding of how that's actioned and that it's, you know, it's working so I can at least wrap my head around it and it makes me more confident to make, you know, some of those, some of those investments. So now we, we, we don't have a KPI for everything. We can't identify, for example, where every lead came from because, you know, sometimes somebody attends a show and then calls us six months later, you know, on the phone for a sole source proposal, but I, I can't necessarily directly put it back to a specific webinar we had or, or something like that. But we, we can see things that are more effective and things that are less effective and start to, you know, prioritize. So I'm curious, you know, on the flip side of that, now that you do have data, are there some like legacy programs that you guys used to do that once you got data back on it and you started measuring against you're like, guys, this makes no sense. We're getting no return on this. Or there's, you know, X, Y, Z ways that we can reach this audience, you know, faster or, uh, you know, less cost associated with it. Have you found any of those kind of golden opportunities through your data? So the, the easy one is print media, 
I think that's <laughs> been the biggest challenge um, okay. for us to hang in our one, just because I, I don't have a real measurement, you know, for, for that. Um, and, it, and as a result, because I can see an ROI on so many of our other investments, that one ends up kind of falling to the bottom. There are, there are a few things that we do. There's some exceptions that we do. And there's also some, some media groups that we have good relationships there with. So I think that there's, we do that a little bit, but not very much. It's helped us with conferences, um, for sure, in terms of level of engagement and our ability to, to track leads and opportunities that have come out of those. And we haven't stopped going to any conferences but we, we've certainly changed our approach and our investment, you know, in some of the things that we were smaller conferences before, maybe we're investing more and maybe some of the bigger conferences we're, we're backing off some. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're making, you know, we're making changes and we're, we're changing dynamically on a regular basis. And I think the other thing I would comment is, you know, something that's working very well with our data center practice may not be as effective with our transit practice, you know, and that goes back to, to meeting your clients where they, where they are. So if you can kind of measure those sorts of things, it helps you make better informed decisions. Yeah. It's certainly not a one size fits all recipe when it yeah. comes to, to marketing tactics, especially when you're across different geographies, like you guys are, and your markets are very, very different. Your services are very different in terms of how you communicate the value proposition there as yeah. well. Yeah. And the laws um, in terms of privacy laws in Canada are different than in the U.S. So you have to uh, navigate the legalities of what yes. you cannot do as well. That's accurate. And in terms of who we're reaching out to via email versus what we're doing on social in some of those situations, that's, that's accurate. You know, Scott, hearing you talk about all of your systems and your reporting and the um, tools that you have to pull all of the data and get it into a consumable format for it to be helpful to your marketing team as well as your internal clients, um, I'm sitting here thinking about your typical engineering firm and um, a really typical professional services firm, I should say. And I don't know that it is an intuitive thing for the C-suite today and many firms to even consider data generation or capture um, to come out of the marketing department. I think historically, a lot of professional service firms um, associated marketers with, you know, the art of, you know, making the data appear better, um, in yeah. terms, you know, aesthetic presentation, um, certainly messaging and communications, but it's really since, you know, technology and marketing in the last 10 years have sort of departed from their designated lanes and came Absolutely. And come yeah. together in a shared lane, has that been a really strong partnership? So can you talk a little bit about what does the ideal partnership look like in terms of um, your IT department, your marketing department, and um, even your financial, your CFO yeah. and your, your finance department? Um, so we're, you know, we've got a, a great relationship between those groups. And I, and I will actually even pull HR into that discussion because we're starting to help that group with recruiting and sort of taking a marketing approach to that. It's very, very early days, but similarly, we're trying to look at the data to try to be more efficient in how we're, you know, and how we're recruiting. So I'm, I'm going to pull HR into that discussion. I think we, we might, um, 
I've, I've got a great relationship with IT. So, you know, all the articles that talk about that the CMO and the, the head of IT or IM, information management, I wouldn't just call it IT. It's not just the, techn- the technology side. It's also the information side in our firm is, is key. And so we've been able to develop a good, healthy relationship that's, um, you know, very, very productive. I think that was part of it. I think that at our firm, we've had a accounting and finance, you know, team. It's sometimes, you know, being mindful that some of the data isn't necessarily shared out to everybody all the time. So I think that they, they helped us learn how to compartmentalize data so that, um, you know, you're, you're not accidentally sharing what somebody earns or, or something like that, right, in, in terms of all this. So I think that I'm naturally curious. So I think that learning each one of their, those areas of the business and very much respecting the things that they bring to the table was, was part of the foundation. I think that the other one was, you know, we had some, some challenges early on where I didn't necessarily know where we were going. You know, my, I think my development style is more iterative over time than knowing exactly what my outcome is going to be. I've got a good idea, but I haven't necessarily I haven't done it before. So I, I don't know all the steps to do that is we hired an, an IT person for lack of a better term in a reporting and a technology person into the marketing team. And that person is highly skilled and works very closely with our IM and I, IT team. And in some instances covers some, you know, some IT sort of related, I'd say service tickets type of thing. But um, that's really nice because it, it gives us insight into, it gives us access to people who work with technology all the time and know how a couple of these tools are going to be. So I think that we, you know, marketing technology or MarTech has gotten a lot easier to understand and you can now buy it on a monthly basis and you don't have to make significant capital investments has really moved all of these things forward more rapidly. And especially in the last two or three years, it's, it's really amazing what's, you know, what's happened that allows us to do some of the things that we're, you mean, that we're doing. But, um, yeah, maybe I just go back to the same thing. It's, it's collaboration and, you know, teamwork, um, you know, and on that side, as well as having relationships with operations that's allowed us to not try to do it in a year, but to, to build slowly. And um, they're starting to see benefits, um, you know, as well. Our, our ITIM team uses a very similar, you know, client response um, survey system that we use with our external clients. So, you know, the IT and IM team is constantly getting feedback on how they're doing, servicing their internal clients. And it's very similar, almost identical. I, I would be willing to bet at some time we maybe adopt one or the other system um, that we use externally with our, with our customers. So, Scott, you know, I, Morrison Hirschfield is a rather large company compared to some of our listeners. Um, what advice do you give to the marketing director um, and the C-suite at, you know, say a 200-person firm or a 50-person firm, I think a lot of your principles um, still apply at, at smaller yeah. companies, but you might not have as many resources. So, if you found yourself in, in those environments, um, what are some tangible um, things that you would tell them to do knowing that they're not going to have the same type of yeah. you know, technology infrastructure, the same type of financial resources that Morrison Hirschfield would have? Man, that's that's maybe that's a challenging one. I so I, the goal of my team is to help the company secure the best projects with the best clients, so that we can hire, grow, and retain the best people. Um, and that's you know I think I, most of the folks in my team have that you know little slogan hanging up in their 
you know, in their desk space. And, and I would say the same thing to a director, maybe at a director of marketing, maybe at a smaller firm, and then go and say, what metrics can you set up to identify what your best client is? Because the best client's not necessarily the largest client. The best client isn't necessarily the most profitable client. The best client isn't, you know, like our, our technical staff, like working on really hard technical projects. So what are the things that we need to do to position our company to, to get at some of that really fun, hard work? Now, it can't all be that, you know, some of it has to be large projects and small projects and some of it has to be profitable, you know, and the larger projects usually are a little less profitable than the smaller projects and all those types of things. But I think that's, you know, my suggestion would be if you're just starting out and you're not sure where to start, you know, what's the company's best client look like and, and start that dialogue with your operational counterparts on what best means. And, you know, inside our firm, best doesn't mean the same thing in each one of our sort of in our, our business units. Um, so, so we st- started building things sort of around how to, how to track that and then move on to what's a good project look like and, and those sorts of things. That'd be my suggestion. I think that's great advice. So we call that an ideal customer profile and mm-hmm. ideal project profile. And I think that that applies across the board. I think a lot of times small businesses or smaller businesses are really um, not differentiating one opportunity from the next, um, especially, you know, during times where maybe cash flow is um, yeah. a higher priority. And um, uh, right now where a lot of firms are very, very busy, I, I constantly tell my clients that you really need to allocate your resources to those ideal customer profiles. Um, because um, like you said, resources are hard to come by. Very much agree. Yeah. Talent is really hard to come by. Yeah. And I would say that probably the number one, um, invest in a CRM system. I, I think there used to be significant differences between them, but I think that they're all very similar now. And, you know, you don't have, everybody in the firm doesn't need a seat. You know, I think that's a little bit of the, the benefit of the new um, software as, as, as a service model. You know, if you're a firm of 200 people and you have, you know, two, two business units and you can identify one person in each business unit to start to, you know, gather the sales data and start tracking your opportunities, you know, so create, create your, looking out the windshield, you know, your forward looking piece, but then just start to consistently gather data on your, you mean on your clients and on your sales efficiency. I I think that'd probably be the first place to start. If you don't have a CRM system and it doesn't have to be Salesforce, it doesn't have to be Dynamics CRM, you know, there's a lot of um, CRMs out there that that'll work, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be the Cadillac. That's all great insight. You know, this has been a really informative talk today. Scott, I want to thank you for your time. And um, while I have you, I just wanted to commend you and your team on what you guys have done and also give some kudos to the leadership over at Morrison Hirschfield for empowering you guys to really um, do what we call at Smarties, move the marketing needle and, and really employ marketing tactics that drive the business. I, I hope our listeners have learned something helpful today, something that, th- that can help them, you know, start thinking differently about sales and marketing, maybe start uh, employing some of those tools that you mentioned and being more forward thinking than just reactive. So again, thank you for your time, you know, and everybody out there listening. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Judy. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principals brought to you by Smartergies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners. 